Hello everyone, you're listening to Peel Matters on News Talk Saga 960. Today's conversation is brought to you from the Lussy Revolution, a food and climate justice podcast. I'm your host Rav and I'm coming to you from Treaty 13 land, the traditional territories of the Wendat, Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas of the Credit. I recognize the many nations of Indigenous people who currently live on this land have spent time here and ancestors who have hunted and gathered on this land. I also acknowledge the many people of African descent who are not settlers, but whose ancestors were forcibly displaced and made to work on these lands. I remain committed to both Indigenous sovereignty and Black liberation by engaging in allyship work and believe both are key aspects of our food systems and the environmental movement. So my co-host Raho will be joining us in a few minutes, but uh, right now I'm joined by Rami from the Arab Group for the Protection of Nature, which is an independent nonprofit organization concerned with the protection of the environment and natural resources of all Arab countries against all hazards, including the destructive impacts of wars and foreign occupations. Rami, I'm really excited uh, to chat with you today about food sovereignty and farming in Palestine. And before we get into that, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Okay. My name is Rami Barhoush. I am the vice president of the Arab Group for the Protection of Nature. This is a Jordanian-based volunteer organization that seeks to promote food security and sovereignty in the Arab region. Um, We have two main projects. We have the Green Caravan in Jordan, where we... um, go to rural areas um, and we talk to the farmers there to see what their needs are and we try to keep them in their farms instead of having them move to the cities looking for uh, uh, jobs uh, and leaving their farmlands. Um, So this is the Green Caravan. We've we've worked with uh, dozens of villages in Jordan over the past 15 years and I'm not going to say that they're living off of the trees that we help them farm, I mean, plants or, or the vegetation or the plantations, but um, it is giving them a re- more reason to stay on their lands and it's giving them extra income for what, you know, whatever they're doing, they can, they can get more. And um, th- them staying in their villages uh, has a different meaning to them now, as opposed to, um, you know, directing their minds and thoughts to going to the cities and finding jobs uh, in the cities. Um, the other project we have, this is a, big, a bigger project, it's called the Million Tree Campaign. Um, this is targeting Palestine. Um, and we've been working with Palestinian farmers to help them uh, build resilience against climate change and against the Israeli occupation of their lands. Thank you for that rundown of some of the different projects that you folks run. And I love how the focus of the Green Caravan Project is to really support farmers and staying on their farmland, because this is something that we see all over the world, farmers having to leave their land to go into cities or more urban areas. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes these farms are just completely abandoned. Um, So I'm wondering what your what is your relationship with food and the environment? And how did you get involved in uh, food sovereignty work? Um, The deteriorating environmental conditions are all around us. Um, and to live at a time where we can actually see islands disappear under the sea, such as uh, the case with the Solomon Islands, or to see that 95% of the sea ice in the Arctic has already melted. Um, and even if we radically uh, reduce emissions right away, more than a third of the world's glaciers are due to melt before the year 2100. 
So aren't these signs enough for humanity to reassess its direction and priorities? Um, so the Arab uh, region is a significant fossil fuel extractor. Um, the incompetence of the governments had led to accelerating desertification. Um, there is lack of water harvesting. We have uh, natural resources being lost uh, continuously because of bad management. Um, in the case of Palestine, the Israeli military occupation has systematically been hurting the environment, restricting Palestinian utilization of their farmlands, contaminating water sources and soil, continually uprooting fruit trees and olive trees from which Palestinians sustain themselves economically. Um, so being attached to the environment and working to save what is left of our natural resources is more of a necessity um, than a choice. Mm, that's so interesting how you framed it as a necessity, not necessarily a choice, because we really are at that point in our climate crisis where we all, no matter what our interests are, what our perspectives are, what our job or occupation is, where we live, how we, how we live, we all need to act on this now because our survival is at risk. And I think a lot of people, especially youth and marginalized communities, feel the weight of this the same way it sounds like you do also. Um, they understand that this work is, it just has to be done. And there's there's no choice left. We have no choice left. Um, so you mentioned briefly about Palestinian farmers, and I'm wondering if you can expand on how farming in Palestine has changed over the years uh, due to uh, climate change, illegal occupation, or other things. Um, and also, what are some of the challenges that Palestinian farmers currently face? Um, the founding of Israel um, in 1948 came at a grave cost to the Palestinian people. Um, who suffered the destruction of over 500 villages and towns, where hundreds of thousands were left as refugees, unable to return to their lands even today. So the Palestinians lost their houses, shops, factories, offices, and schools, but they were mainly a farming community. They used to export Jaffa oranges to Europe and olive oil to different Arab countries and cities. But this abrupt halt devastated their ability to survive and to sustain themselves and their descendants up to today. Um, so today in the occupied Palestinian territories, just to let you know, there is, uh, the, the occupied Palestinian territories are known as the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip. And the farmers there are not only suffering the effects of climate change, but are facing a set of oppressive military measures that prevent them reasonable access to what's left of their lands and prevent them from pumping their natural waters and aquifers for domestic and agricultural use. Um, in the early 2000s, um, around the time of the start of the second uprising, or Intifada, um, Israel built a long separation wall to contain the Palestinians of the West Bank within designated areas. And this wall stretched over 700 kilometers through cities, towns, and farming lands. The wall has gates that are controlled by the occupation army, where the Palestinians can only cross over to their lands, schools, and jobs during the few hours that the gates are allowed to be opened by the soldiers. In cases where a farmer's land is on the other side of the wall, he or she needs to apply for a permit to attend to their farms. And these permits are mostly granted only to the farmers and not to their family members or workers, making it very difficult for them to plow the land or to har harvest the crops alone, you know, alone without help, without family members helping them or without the workers that they need um, to be able to take care of their lands. 
And in, in the West Bank, the proliferation of the illegal Jewish settlements in the West, in the West Bank has been a long nightmare for the Palestinians. There are over 200 settlements on stolen Palestinian lands housing some 500 to 600,000 colonial settlers. Now these settlements come with a settler only sophisticated road network, electricity grids, uh, military checkpoints, uh, buffer zones that eat up a huge portion of the Palestinian farms and hilltops. Um, sewage and industrial waste is pumped out of these settlements into Palestinian villages and valleys causing odors and contamination. Um, there's detailed reporting um, on, the, uh, on the violations, uh, on this particular violation by the Pesticide Action Network of Asia and the Pacific, um, it is worth looking at. 60% um, of the West Bank area was designated as Area C, according to the Oslo agreements that Israel signed with the PLO in 1993. Area C was supposed to be under military, Israeli military control for the length of the agreement, which was five years. But today and after 26 years, Israel still restricts the movements of Palestinians in this major area of the West Bank, refuses to grant housing permits, to accommodate the population growth of the Palestinian city networks there. And the Palestinians and their growing families are forced to cramp themselves inside 40% of the West Bank for the past 26 years. Now, Area C is mostly farmland. Um, uh, the areas of the West Bank were, uh, were sorted or were allocated as Area A, B, and C. A was the center of the cities, B, the center of the towns, and C was the farmlands that surrounded the cities and the towns. Um, and this is 60% of the West Bank. And it's mostly farmlands and has most of the olive groves and the other fruit trees that were planted by past generations. Um, we have the oldest olive tree in the world, which is, is understood to be over 5,000 years old. We have so many trees um, that are you know, thousands of years old, exceeding 2,000 years. Now, since 2000, there has been a systematic attack on trees. And according to the Palestinian Ministry of Agriculture, the Israeli military and the settlers have uprooted over two and a half million trees. All you have to do is Google the uprooting of trees in Palestine, and you will find stories and stories of settler and army attacks on farmers in so many uh, media sites. Wow, thank you so much for explaining all of that. I know the history of this is so complex and deep, and we could like honestly probably do a whole podcast just on the history of this area. So I, I appreciate the quick highlights you provided. And really encourage our listeners to do some of their own research to understand more of um, Palestinian history because it has informed and influenced the situation today. Um, and on this podcast, I talk a lot about the difficulties and challenges of being a farmer and farming in general in the region of Peel. And from some of the challenges that you outlined, it sounds like there are definitely parallels to some of the challenges um, Palestinian farmers face, but also some really unique challenges such as access to their land. And I think it shows how food and land are being used as tools to control Palestine, to create dependence and to take away sovereignty, which uh, really just shows the importance of the work that you and the Arab Group for the Protection of Nature are doing. Um, there's a really great panel discussion facilitated by a growing culture um, that really goes in depth about Palestinian food sovereignty and farming 
I will try to find that and link it in the episode notes if anyone would like to give it a listen after today's conversation to continue learning more about this topic. So Rami, how does APN fit into all of this? You did a great job explaining what the Air Group for the Protection of Nature does at the beginning, but do you want to expand on anything or explain how you work with the community? Um, the Arab Group for the Protection of Nature has been working um, with Palestinian uh, communities uh, for the past 20 years. Um, we have worked with municipalities, with uh, voluntary grassroots organizations, with, um, with um, uh, city councils, with big NGOs in Palestine. Uh, we, we, we prefer not to work with individual farmers because we believe that the Palestinians need to organize and need to be working in groups. So we uh, contact these groups and we see what their needs are and we try to accommodate. Now, um, we try to uh, give more importance to areas that, that are threatened uh, of compensation, like areas close to the separation wall, areas close to the Israeli settlements, um, areas close to the Israeli roads in the West Bank, all these areas um, are really targeted by the Israeli occupation army uh, for expansion uh, in the future. So these areas are looked at by the Israelis as um, areas that are off limits to Palestinians. Um, usually the settlers keep harassing the Palestinians there. The army refuses access to the Palestinians in these areas. And we try as much as we can to help the Palestinians plant them with trees and stay on them and build resilience against all this uh, atrocity that they have been going through. So Rami, in your opinion, what are some things that need to happen to help Palestinians strengthen their food sovereignty? The world has to pressure Israel to end the building of settlements in Palestinian lands. Um, the world needs to pressure Israel to end the military occupation of the West Bank and East Jerusalem and the siege of Gaza, and of course, to respect human rights. And do you have any tips or advice to share with people in Canada who want to be allies to farmers in Palestine or uh, help support Palestinian food sovereignty? My advice to Canadians would be to learn about the hardships of the Palestinians under occupation, to support them by exposing Israeli violations, by, boy by boycotting Israeli products uh, grown and manufactured in Israeli settlements, and by complaining to retailers that these products are in breach of international laws. Awesome. And how can people in Canada support the Arab Group for the Protection of Nature? I know we're far away, but what are some things that we can do over here to support uh, your work? APN, uh, of course, needs support, just like every voluntary grassroots organization, um, the Arab Group for the Protection of Nature. Um, needs support and needs help needs to uh, need you know we we need funds to try to help the palestinians um, plant their trees uh, do water harvesting build collection wells um, and you can donate to any organization that helps palestinian farmers develop their abilities to sustain themselves uh, and you can help apn and you know any other organization that does the same perfect thank you rami and before we let you go for today is there any last message you want to leave us with? Given, given the, the situation of climate change that we are facing these days, climate change is undoubtedly the most important issue on, in the world today. And um, every 
responsible citizen of the world needs to take some action, depending on where he or she are, or he or she is. Um, and uh, we would like to, uh, you know, uh, bring the attention of the world to communities that are living under protracted crises. Um, these communities who, who are not only experiencing the challenges of climate change, um, but are experiencing atrocities of military occupations, um, of, uh, of, of uh, being refugees in other countries, uh, stateless people. Um, these people need more attention than anybody else because they are um, the most um, affected by climate change and they are those that need most help. And uh, I, just, I just received something a couple of days ago that says we are not all in the same boat but we are all, we are not all in the same boat, we are all in the same storm. And this, this, was, this was very uh, applicable to what we we're talking about here. That is an amazing quote to end this conversation with. And I agree, it really sums up everything we've been talking about today really, really nicely. Rami, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. I learned so much about farming and food sovereignty in Palestine and really appreciate the work that you're, um, that you're doing. We are gonna take a short break now, but we'll be back in a few minutes. 